0: vacation. And this is, I'll be honest with you, it's one of the first times that I, I did not worry about Sunday at all. Like usually I'm gone. I've been gone a few Sundays in six and a half years. That's okay. Right. But this is one of the first times I'm like, I'm not even going to worry, man. We have such amazing leaders and everything's taken care of. And so on Sunday where you were worshiping Jesus, I think I was on the beach and I'm sure you've done that to me before. I'm sure I see Facebook. Someone posted a picture of an ocean this morning, Allison. I'm not going to say their name out loud. Did I say it out loud? I'm sorry. Sometimes that happens. But uh, it was a blessing. And I say that because I just want to thank all of our leaders. Thank you, John. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Everybody that just did your thing. I just heard great reports and testimonies of even our care pastors and our prayer team ministering to people up front for just a long time after the service. And that just speaks the volume that you are people that love well and, and you're here because you love Jesus and you value what God's doing right here. Amen. Can we give God? Thanks. Come on. Let's just give him praise. Thank you, Lord. Well, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to preach, I think, or teach or something. I'm going to do something. Uh, if you have your Bibles open up to Matthew 18, um, Matthew chapter eighteen. I'm going to read from uh, Matthew eighteen in just a minute, and we're going to start at the beginning of Matthew eighteen, and we're going to read all the way through Matthew twenty-four. I'm just kidding. Did you really think I was serious? <laughs> Matthew twenty-four. We're going to we're going to talk about eschatology this morning. Just kidding. So Matthew eighteen. Um, Open your Bibles and and let's go for it this morning. I I really feel, I feel like I want to, I want to, and I'm down here and I hope those that are watching online can see me because usually we're up here and there's no lights. Eventually we're going to have some lights there so I can come down here from time, but I just kind of want to be right here. I want to see your faces a little clearer. Amen. Because y'all look good in the Holy Spirit. Look at the person next to you. Say, you look real good in the Spirit. But when you in the flesh, you nasty. No, I'm just playing. Don't say that that's rude. That's so rude. But I I have something stirring in my heart and I feel like maybe we'll do a series on this. And I want to talk about the church. I want to, and I'm not talking about encounter church, Las Vegas, which I love encounter church, Las Vegas. It's my home church This is where I go. Um, but, uh, I want to talk about the body of Christ. I want to talk about what God is doing, what he's doing in the earth. And, uh, and what He's doing right now. How many know the church is alive and well and has been around for 2,000 years? Amen. Someone just did the sign of the cross. Praise God. You did it the wrong way, though. The, they changed it in, like, the 15th century. It's from the right to the left, guys. Come on, Catholics. Anyways, so I want to um, I wanna, I wanna minister to you about what God is doing right now on the earth, and I feel, like, I feel like it's good for us to understand this stuff because if we don't understand where we're going, uh, we also need to know where we've been. How many think church history is somewhat important? Yeah. A lot of people don't even know why they believe what they believe. You know, some people hold to things so tightly, different teachings that are not essential and that they've become sacred cows, but they're things that weren't even taught over 200 years ago. And some people don't even realize that and they hold to these things so tightly. One of the most liberating things as a, a leader, um, and, and this, is, this is funny, but it 's so true. on most church websites, how many know there's a portion that says we believe. I mean what I 'm talking about. Now, if you belong to a denomination, you have to cut and paste their beliefs right up in there. and it 's usually every little topic and it 's pretty concise. You know one of the most liberating things is is to just put the Apostolic Creed on that portion and that 's what we got on our website. Come on, somebody. You didn't hear me. It's so freeing. Because, I mean, that's the confession of the church for 1,800 years. Let's let's just hold fast to that. Let's We believe in Jesus. We love God. We love people. Come on. We're here to serve and, and just reach people with the love of God. And I think we complicate it. And sometimes we get really stagnant and we get really, you know, we get so focused on right thinking and right belief that we, we don't even live out the things that we hold so dear to in our minds. And, and you know, as soon as we mess up, we're, we're, we literally sometimes live in fear of believing the wrong thing. Do you know that's still fear? Like, I don't want to know, false doctrine. Oh, you're so afraid of false doctrine, you'll never think for yourself. Hello? I'm going to be prophetic on you this morning. I hope that's okay. Not pathetic. I said Prophetic. Sometimes we're so afraid of being wrong or thinking wrong. How about we focus on Jesus and we focus on the essentials and we get the heart of God and hear the voice of God for what he's doing right now in the earth, in my life, in your life, in your church, in the body of Christ, in our city called Las Vegas. And let's run with the vision that God brands in our hearts and stop huddling around, you know, things, doctrinal differences, like get over yourself. Come on hello, man, I might just get angry this, no, I'm just playing. I, I, you know, it just really bothers me. You know, sometimes I see things too that are like passive aggressive Facebook statuses that are, it's literally like pastors against pastors where they're rebuttaling each other's doctrines. Like get over yourself. It doesn't even matter. And they're, they're really rebuttaling like things that don't matter really. Like you believe in pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. Are you an idealist? Are you a partial preterist? Are you, you know, whatever. Who cares? Who cares? Jesus is coming back and I'm going to be here. Come on, somebody. And if I'm not going to be here, my kids will be here. My grandkids will be here. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus, the final judgment, and the final resurrection. That's what's important. Not all the other stuff. Well, the antichrist. Obama's the antichrist. Oh, shove it. Just stop that. Come on, dude. That's just silly. That is just so silly. Like, really, let's, let's rise up and think for ourselves and, and let God breathe into his body that sometimes we look at and we criticize as a, a big pile of dry bones, which sometimes it is. But guess what? Let's prophesy to the dry bones and let's see the four winds come and make us a strong army. And there is a reforming. There's a reformation. And here's the thing. There's a price to pay for the reformation. It's not a cost. It's not like we have to, you know, crucify our flesh and and get revival. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about we need to fast and pray for hours. You know what the cost is? The cost is you're going to be persecuted for thinking for yourself. You're going to be persecuted for prodding the old wineskins that are sacred to the religious system, the religious Pharisee spirit of the hour. And I'm not afraid of what people think. And I'm not afraid to prod at old wineskins. You know why? Because I want new wine. Yeah. And God's forming. And I, I don't, listen, here. hear me, hear my heart. I don't dishonor my fathers. I respect, I have fathers that speak into my life. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about maverick stuff and maverick theology. I'm talking about, let's focus on the essentials. Let's learn why we believe what we believe. Let's learn how to read our Bibles. Hello? Let's read our Bibles like Jesus did. You know, let's read our Bibles that, that we understand Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. And let's stop forming these pictures of God that look exactly like Zeus, that he, he's holding a lightning bolt and he's just ready to zap America because they've turned away from God. America doesn't have a covenant with God. Find that in the scripture. Hello? Oh, I feel like I'm just feisty this morning. I've been gone for a week. You just have to deal with it. I'm sorry. There's a reformation. There's a reformation. And you and I are alive in the greatest hour. And we need to not settle or not get complacent. Even when we come together in gatherings, come on, you got to stir the fire. When you come, there should be, you know, worship just, it like enhances your appetite for new wine. It just, oh, we want to drink in the spirit. Why? Because there's a lot of people that are thirsty out there and they don't know the love of God. They don't know the heart of God. They they still look at God like He is an ogre, a mean monster, and and they're afraid of God. They don't fear the Lord. They're afraid of God. Wow. They don't reverence God. They're afraid of Him. They don't call Him Papa, Daddy, like like a, a reverent little the first word that a baby learns, you know, Dad, 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 or they don't call Daddy like a you know like a a, a respected elder man it's it's like afraid it's not even father it's god jesus never called god god he called him papa yeah. we're always praying god 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 no papa abba father and there's a revelation of god happening in the body of christ right now that is listen there's something happening there's a stirring right now i'm telling you if you grab a hold of it you realize that there's things that we're grabbing hold of now that the church will be like oh yeah we knew that in a hundred years, but now people are being persecuted for saying things that I'm saying right now. But I'm going to say this to you. World changers are not afraid to rethink theology that isn't bearing fruit nor changing the world. I'm not gonna cling to some sacred cow of of eschatology or I'm not gonna cling to some sacred cow of atonement theory. What happened when Jesus died? What happened when Jesus died is he absorbed my sin and defeated death, hell, and the grave and he told Satan, get off of him and it's finished. Come on somebody. I don't need you to dice it up and and splice it up and split hairs over it. Come on, get over yourself. It does not matter. What matters is Jesus and what he did for us. So let's tell the world the good news, not the bad news, not that old stuff. Come on, we need to get the fresh manna from heaven that God is love and God is light and he loves humanity. And he's looking for people that are humble enough to say, I don't know all the answers. He's looking for people that are humble enough to say, you know what? I don't know it all and, and I'm okay with that. I don't. Sometimes people ask me questions they like, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's search the scriptures. Let's get to know the heart of God. And I'm telling you right now, I, I'm not anti-denomination, but I am anti-denominational ism. Ism is the worship of. Ism is when we exalt it above something else. And God is blessing the local churches. He's blessing people that love Him. People, you and I. And guess what? The greater the authority, the greater the servanthood. In a local assembly, if if there's somebody that has a title or somebody that has some sort of position, their power is not to control you, it's to serve you. Their authority from heaven is to love you recklessly. It doesn't work like it is in the world. We don't lord like Jesus said in, in Matthew 20. He's like, listen, guys, it doesn't work like that anymore. The greatest among you is the servant of all. Jesus turned it upside down. And we have to rethink what kingdom is and rethink what the church is and where we are and where we're headed. And I'm telling you something. The Reformation is happening and there's a price to pay. The cost is this. You'll be persecuted, but it's okay. The new wine is worth it. And the structure of what God is doing in the body of Christ, it's worth it because we are going to see. Listen, I've had so many dreams. I'm getting prophetic on you, but I've had in the last week on vacation, I had so many vivid dreams. And uh, I probably just really got to rest. And, and there was a few, a few nights where I had these recurring dreams of young people just coming in. Like I, I saw college age and young people just coming into the house of God. There's an awakening that's about to hit the younger generation. And, and I'm telling you, and guess what? We need all the people that, that are fathers and mothers in the house. We need you because when the young people come in, we need the older to teach the younger. Some people think, well, what about the older generation? That's exactly why the young people are coming in. Because you're here to teach them and love them and mentor them. Come on, somebody. But there is an awakening that's happening. There's a reformation that's happening. But it's not like it used to be. It's not yesterday's revival. It's not, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a, a, a reinventing. There's a revisioning of what church really looks like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, that when we started the church... It was with the most dissatisfaction, this this thirsting of God. I just I'm not satisfied, and and I, I'll be honest that a lot of it was I was criticizing the lack, and I was over on the side of criticizing all the things that I didn't think were right and all the things that were wrong, and then God and I'm praying for revival, and God's like, if you just love people, you're going to see revival. You know, you know, appointments turn into divine appointments if you just love people. Just let love flow out of your life. And so I'm criticizing the lack. And then God is taking me through this transition of becoming the more. Like, what does it look like? What is real fellowship? What is the church supposed to look like? What does church government look like? What is a pastor? What is apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher? What does church leadership look like? Is it lording over? Is it control? Or is it coming under? Is it serve? Is it taking the lowly place? Is it being like a child? Is it washing one another's feet? So there's this transition of criticizing the lack and becoming the more. Dissatisfaction is okay, but the transition from criticizing the lack to becoming the more is painful. Not only is it painful, but there's a cost. And the cost is you're going to be persecuted. But guess what? It's worth it. It's worth it because I want to do what God is doing. I want to get aligned with what God is doing in the hour and in the moment. I want to be in a Kairos moment, which is right now. How many can say amen? Amen. Well, that kind of felt like my introduction, but I promise it wasn't. That was just ranting. And I'm going to read some scripture to you, and then then we'll just share a little bit. I I really have a lot more I wanted to share, but I'm not going to do that. So Matthew 18, Jesus... uh, I love how Jesus just turns everything upside down. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, the question has a motive. How many know that our questions usually have a motive? Not only that, but they're defining what kingdom is in their question because they're still thinking that the kingdom is likened to the rulership of the kingdoms of this world the government the state the the reign of this world the kings of this earth how many know what i'm talking about and so they're thinking like in this question there's a motive they want to know but at the same time they're not ready for the answer because they still don't know what kingdom looks like sometimes we ask god for things and we search the scripture but because our definitions are off if we, if we continue to search the Scriptures, we can actually get pointed away from Jesus because our definition's off. How many know what I'm talking about? I'll give you an example of this. If, we're, if our concept of God is, is like He's a really angry dude and He's just waiting to light us up and you know the reason Jesus came was to save us from His angry Father and God the Father had to abuse His Son on the cross so that we wouldn't be abused and punish sin and all that stuff, which let me just throw this at you. If God punishes sin then what is forgiveness? Because you can't punish sin and forgive sin at the same time. It's not possible. Just throw that bomb at you right there. Make you think a little bit. God doesn't have to punish sin. He forgives sin. Hello? The cross was about a new covenant. So if our concept of God is he's like really ticked off at us and but thank God for Jesus. And Jesus is what one preacher said in the second great awakening. I believe he said, Jesus is our asbestos suit from the fiery wrath of God. That's kind of twisted. If you ask me, hello, one of the worst sermons of all time is sinners in the hands of an angry God. See the wrath of God is, is that fiery love and that no, that emphatic no, that if you continue to go to the direction that you're going to go, you're going to be destroyed. And it, he, his, he's jealous for you. He burns for you. It's a no, don't go that direction because I love you. That's the wrath of God. Hello? The wrath and the love of God, C.S. Lewis put it this way, the flames of hell are the same flames of God's love. Who can separate us from the love of God? Not even, not even death can. Hello? Hello? all right, I'm not going to go there right now, but you get the point. If our concept of God is jacked up, everybody understand that word? Okay. When we read the Bible, we're going to retain the concept of God that is jacked up. We're going to read Leviticus and we're going to read Deuteronomy and we're going to read different passages that and we're going to retain these, we're going to read Matthew 23 where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, really, which was what that was about, was about the ending of an old covenant system. But people are quoting it on the streets of Las Vegas completely out of context. Woe to you serpents. I mean, come on. He was talking about the ending. Do you know who Jesus was talking to you? Talking to, he wasn't talking to some sinner in Las Vegas. Matthew 23, he was talking to the religious system that was about to come to an end. The Old Covenant. So if our concept of God is warped, the more we search the Scriptures, the less we get to know God. I want you to chew on that for a minute. Think about that. Some people are so passionate for the Scriptures, it actually lures them away because their concept of God, their definition, their definition of love, their definition of God, their definition, their theology, their concept of who God is, what God looks like to them. See, if God's a judge, you're going to read all the Scriptures about judge. If God's a father, you're going to see God in a different light, which by the way, as we read the Bible again, we can't read it like a flat book, like this flat. It's hard to do with, I'm going to do it like that, like a flat book, a flat book, meaning that it's equal in authority, an equal plane. So the words in Deuteronomy are equally authoritative as the words of Jesus. If that's true, then when our kids rebel, we're supposed to stone them. Has anyone stoned their kids lately? Now, you probably want to get them stoned so they go to sleep. I don't, Benadryl, it's no different than Benadryl and duct tape. If, if we read the Bible as a flat book, I'm sorry, that was horrible. I'm just messing with you guys. I'm crazy sometimes. We can't read the Bible like a flat book. The Bible is God's history with man, his inspired authoritative word that reveals to us Jesus. It points to Jesus. Everything in the old Testament was a shadow. Jesus is the reality. The book of Colossians says a shadow is two dimensional. A shadow is not colorful. A shadow is not vivid. A shadow is a distorted image of the real thing. Come on somebody. But the reality is color is three dimensional and it's vivid and it's the real deal. The shadow is the old covenant, the old Testament. Jesus is the reality. See, we don't read our Bibles like a flat book. We read it like a mountaintop, and or a mountain, like a hill. It's a progressive revelation. God can't reveal all of himself to us at once. We couldn't handle it. But at the top of the mountain is Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the exact representation of what God looks like. Colossians 1.15 says the same thing. It basically says that Jesus is the image of God. So when we read the scripture like Jesus did, here's an example. Jesus didn't read his Bible flat because he said, "Hey, I, it's it's been told to you what Moses wrote in the in Deuteronomy, eye for an eye." But I tell you this: Jesus trumps other areas of scripture. Hello. Now we got to read our the Bible that way. So if our concept of God is is changed, we're going to retain things that feed. That it's called selective retention. The same thing happens if we're offended in our hearts. You could be around somebody, and they could give you ten thousand words of encouragement, and give you one gentle admonishment. All you hear is the admonishment. How many know what I'm talking about? Like Gus, your shirt is really nice, and Gus is offended. What's wrong with my pants, bro? Thanks a lot, Pastor. It's called selective retention, right? You know, we retain certain things. We do the same thing with our theology and the search. Jesus said this. Let me just summarize it for you in in Matthew or in uh, John 5 verse 39. He's looking at the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures diligently thinking in them you find eternal life. But he said, you don't realize they're testifying of me. They're pointing to Jesus. If our scripture study doesn't lead us to Jesus, it's going to lead us somewhere else. I want to be led to Jesus. I want the spirit of the living Christ to be illuminated as I search the scriptures. With love and reverence and respect that they're inspired and authoritative, but I don't read it from a flat, plain perspective. Are you hearing me this morning? So that was one verse. Let's keep reading. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I said all that to say this. Our definition of kingdom is going to be completely flipped upside down in the next uh, few decades in the body of Christ. We're moving away from from the whole idea that evangelicalism has, has embraced and is now rejecting in a lot of ways. There's grassroots movements. People are waking up realizing you can't legislate faith. The kingdom of God does not come through empirical powers. Hello. It comes through people that love and serve. It's It's a revolution of a heart. You can't, I mean, you, you, can, you can make good laws, and I think God wants good laws. Good laws are good, they're helpful. But what's more important is the changing of the heart and the renewing of the mind. Amen. So the, the idea of kingdom is completely turning upside down. So Jesus says, uh, or they're asking, who's the greatest? They all desire to be great. Everyone desires to be great. And guess what? That's okay. It's our hunger for power and control that Jesus wants to lay the axe to the root to. So he says here, he called a little child to him. Now get the picture. Jesus is, they're, they're asking the rabbi this big question. And then Jesus says, hey, bring me a kid. And he placed the child among them. And he said, let's read it together. Verse, uh, verse three. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, say lowly position, of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I wanna talk to you about that as we close, the lowly position. What does it mean to take on the lowly position? It means to take on the heart of Jesus for humanity. It means to take on the place of, now I'm not gonna read it to you now, but in John chapter 13, it's so profound that Jesus is with his disciples, and they're all together. And it's an intimate dinner. And you know, how many know at intimate dinners, people kind of let their hair down, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like they see who you really are. And, uh, and and sometimes they're a little shocked. If you have dinner with me, you'll be a little shocked. I'm kind of crazy. I Pray for me. It'll get you to pray for me more. Mm-hmm. Come on, somebody. Defenses come down. There's also moments of an intimate dinner where you know, you're and, and they're breaking bread together, and and this is the Passover, and, and this is in John chapter 13. I'm not going to read it right now, but there, there's this powerful picture of God incarnate. I mean, I want you to think about this: God in flesh is standing with his disciples that he chose. They're regular dudes. They're not this upper, you know, class of rabbis. They're fishermen, they're tax collectors. Yeah. They're all the people that no one else wanted to choose. Right. All the other rabbis would not choose these people. Right. It just it's a picture of the heart of Jesus that he wants to add significance to your life. Yeah. He wants you to know how significant you are. So they're they're in this room, they're eating, and then Jesus takes off his outer garment. It's it's a symbol of transparency. And he has a towel on and he gets down low and he's about to wash their feet. And of course, Peter, he's so pretentious and presumptuous, right? He's pretentious and presumptuous. I just made a word up. He's both of those things. He's like, no, I need to wash your feet, Lord. Jesus is like, just stop. You know? If I don't wash your feet, you won't be clean. And he's like, then wash everything. Praise God. You know, it's just so... But think about this. There's something about the heart of God revealed to His intimate 12 that He didn't reveal to everyone else. And He said, I'm going to wash your feet. God incarnate got so low, a foot washer was the lowest place of a slave. They didn't have kicks like we do today, y'all. Hello? They wore open toes and they're in the desert. Their feet were nasty. And their toes probably had all kinds of fungus. I'm serious. Now, think about this for a minute. A foot washer was the lowliest place of a servant. And Jesus took that on and said, This is what I want you guys to do for one another. Take the lowly position, as it says in Matthew 18. Become like little children. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. What is he saying? He, I, I believe he's saying this it's not empire, it's not corporation, it's family. Now, I want to do this whole series on church government and what leadership looks like in the church. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and the gifts of Jesus in Ephesians 4. I want to talk about all this stuff because sometimes we still have this, this upside-down value system. And when we realize, I want to read you something in closing here. When we realize what God wants us to do, oh, my, my honey, texts me. Thank you for praying for me. Love you. With a little, a little heart kiss. What is that called? Little. There, yeah, but what is it called? Whatever. Anyways. Not emoji. It's not the word I was looking for. My wife is so awesome. I want to read this to you in closing in just a second here. But there's this picture of Jesus taking on the lowest place of a servant, and he's, de- he's displaying to us what true authority looks like. The greater the authority, the greater the servanthood. Jesus saying, I I want you to wash one. Have you ever got your feet washed before? It'll melt the hardest hearts. Can you imagine if we took that concept and that motive of our hearts to every person that doesn't know Jesus? How can I serve you? How can I help you? Instead of looking at our neighbor, you know, we, we've all done it from time to time. Instead of looking at our neighbor that, you know, they're checking their mail and we're thinking about all the issues they have and they need to be delivered, And right? Come on, they could use a sozo. Come on, somebody. <laughs> How about we come and we say, can I wash your feet? I mean, if you say that, they're probably going to be like, you're crazy, get away from me. But I'm talking about the concept behind it. Hello? What does feet washing look like now? Do it. What does it look like now? What does that type of love look like now? What does it look like in our community? What does it look like to in your family, to your wife or your husband? What does that look like to wash one another's feet? What does it look like to love your kids that way? Where we literally abandon ourselves to say, I'm going to be like God and I'm going to just pour out. Listen, one of the, the understandings that the church had in the very beginning that Jesus humbled himself and he poured out his divinity. It wasn't that he emptied himself of his divinity because maybe some of his privileges as God. But how many know he's fully God and fully man? But you know what the, the picture is in Philippians 2? That he poured out all of his divinity on the earth. God poured out all of his love on the earth. He's a humble God. He's a humble God. The omnipotent God of all creation is humble enough to take the lowliest position in the first century and say, I'm going to wash your feet. And I don't care if you have fungus. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to do it because I want you to understand what kingdom looks like. I want you to know that the greatest among you is the servant of all. Hello. I want you to know that you're called to take on the lowly position. We're called to take you. Listen, here's what happens. The lower you get, the more glory comes. Hello? Try it right now. Take on the lowly position. Just, just let your heart bow and let the weight of God's glory come over you. Because when you're humble, God manifests his presence. He gives grace to the humble. Well, there's grace all the time. I can have grace anytime I want. He gives grace to the humble. You like that voice? Isn't that nice? That's my inner voice. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes, when I think of Pastor Chris, that's what I hear. I will, I will say that he said that, okay? I will say that sometimes we're in the office, come by, tend to, 10 to 2, you know, sometimes say hello to us. But uh, I'll be in there, and I'm just like listening to worship or whatever and chilling. And I hear, Like this random noise. And I'm like, what is he doing over there? And he's editing a video or practicing a worship song. Yeah, he's always praying. Every time I go back, he's literally on his knees with sackcloth and ashes. Oh, Father! Okay, where was I? God wants us to take the lowly position. Because that's who he is. He's a humble God. He's a humble God and he gives grace to the humble. You know, some of the most profound moments of my wife and I, our marriage getting stronger and stronger was when I just took the lowly position. Happy wife, happy life. Come on somebody. When I said sorry, when I didn't feel like saying sorry, and I didn't think I need to say sorry. You know what we need to learn to do is forgive people when they don't forgive us. Just think about that for a minute. I forgive you even if you haven't forgiven me. I forgive you. Forgiveness and love just flows from my heart because I want to love like He loves. I want to read this to you right here. When we take on the lowly position, when we come under, when we choose to come under, the weight of God's glory comes over us. You see, when we love, we're releasing. Do you know what the glory of God is? When Moses, I want you to think about something right here. When Moses said, show me your glory, and God says, I can't show you my glory because no one can see my face and live. I don't think it was just this concept that, well, God is just so holy that Moses would have, it would have just melted his face off and killed him. You know what I think it was? Moses couldn't handle the revelation of the love of God in that moment. All the people would have probably killed him. Think about that. Now, I don't know that for sure. But maybe because the glory of God, the kabod, the riches and honor of God is a revelation of his love. Say this with me. Say, the glory of God is a revelation of his love. Jesus shows up in all of the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's he's, he's the light of the Father. He's the light of the world. He is God incarnate, the glory of God. And what does he show us? Love and forgiveness. The glory of God is a revelation of love. So when you love, listen, when you love people, you're releasing the glory of God over their life. Do you know what that does? It's like you're releasing an invisible, like just weighty presence of gold from heaven. What does it do? It, it gives them uh, a revelation of how valuable they actually are. Come on, somebody. When you love people, you just love them and you take the lonely place. I want to read this to you in closing. Ready? When we choose to honor and serve, we shine the light of Christ on someone else. And if they receive it, it helps them see how valuable they are. When we rule over people, we limit someone's own perception of potential of themselves and rob them of their true significance. Do I need to say that again? When we choose to honor and love, when we serve, we shine the light of who Jesus is on someone else. And if they receive it, it'll help them see how valuable they actually are. When we choose to rule over, we limit someone's own perception of potential of themselves and rob them of their true significance. We make them feel small. We make them feel little. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for necessary edification. Amen? Yeah. We, all, we could read that every day and receive from it. But what does it say right after that? It says that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know, you can impart grace if words of edification come out of your mouth. Why? Because there's there's power, there's spiritual substance when you love is a spiritual substance, faith is a substance from God. It's lit, It carries something. It's weighty. And when you love and when you believe in people, when you get behind them, when you celebrate who they are, and when you take the lowly position, you come under and you become like a child, it lifts them up. How many know love lifts us up? Love does not push us down. Love lifts us up. When we humble ourselves, we receive God's grace. Why? So he can exalt us in due time. See, Jesus never rebuked their their uh, hunger to be great. He rebuked their, their motives to be powerful and to control. Hello? God wants to make you great. You are great. But he wants you to be a great servant and a great lover. Amen? Come on, let's stand up. I want to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just give thanks for the word right now? Come on. Just bless the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lift your hands with me and just thank God for his love right now. Lord, I bless every person right now. And I thank you for their heart to love and to serve. And we just have so many outstanding lovers of God in this place, so many leaders, so many examples of love and of faith, so many loyal servants of God. And Lord, we thank you We thank you for what you're doing in the earth, in the body of Christ. We thank you for the reformation. We thank you for the new wineskin that's forming. We thank you for the generation that is raising up. We We get aligned with your very heart, God, in this moment that we would beat at the rhythm of your heartbeat and love like you in the name of Jesus. And as we do, we would add the very weighty and value, and significance to everyone that is around us, that we would make people feel significant, that we would make people feel loved, every person that we come in contact with. And Lord, we thank you for that foot washing example, the lowly place, the servant of all that you gave us. The greater the authority, the greater the servanthood. We take it on, we put it on like a cloak. We put on Christ right now, like the Bible says, and make no provisions of the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Lord, none of those desires to be powerful unless it's a desire to serve, to love, and to see other people break through. In Jesus' name. We take it on. We put on Christ right now. We clothe ourselves with humility. We clothe ourselves with those heavenly garments of love. How many would just say, yes, Lord. Come on, give him praise right now and receive it. I want you to pray out loud and thank God for it. Come on, pray in the spirit. Pray with understanding. Say, I receive it, Lord. I receive it, Lord. In Jesus' name.